scare me. That's so much better than last week. Just for the record, it's bowls of food, in case you're curious, for some of you. All right. <laughs> hey, it's really uh, just an honor to be up here again. I really want, just good to see our seniors back and our seniors. Wow, that, that sounded great. Oh, jeez. Good thing our, my review's coming up, because you can write that down. Um, it's good to see Pastor Bob and Pastor Gabe back, and they just really deserve that break, so I know they had a good time. And um, It's just fun to be up here, um, and I just, I had so much fun this week uh, uh, preparing for this. So just, just for those of you here last week, I appreciate you coming back. That's really awesome. Um, <laughs> and uh, who was inspired a little bit to read a little bit more Word this week? Right? It's okay. Be honest. Couple, that's awesome. This service is great because... I think only one person raised their hand last service. So you're the spiritual ones. Uh, so I appreciate that. I even inspired myself. I, I just had so much fun preparing for this one this week just because God led me so many different directions and different passages. Uh, I would encourage everyone to write a sermon. Now, whether you want to deliver it or not is a different thing, right? Because it's so different to stand up here. A lot of people hate public speaking. It's their biggest fear, whatever, right? But I would encourage you to at least write something because it's, it's cool to see how God works as you dig in and want to get across a message and as you listen and as you want to, to deliver it. For me this week, it was all about honing like 60 pages of notes, wasn't 60, but it was a lot, into a little message that I think God wants to give today. I'm really hopeful that you walk away with some stuff that God speaks to your heart about and that you can either apply or just God speaks to you and you just feel a little bit more love from God. Okay, so let's get going, right? So we're, gonna, we're continuing in the book of Mark in our series, The Journey Through Mark. Um, and so we're going to continue on in chapter 4. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If you have a Bible app, you can turn there. Um, nudge your neighbor and say, don't fall asleep. Yes. All right. So we're going to continue in chapter 4. This is the section of Scripture that is titled, Jesus Calms the Storm. And just like I said last week, because we talked about the first part of chapter 4 last week, where it was the parable of the sower, okay? So this section of scripture also is read quite a bit, probably preached on quite a bit. Tell me, raise your hand if you will, if you heard about Jesus calming the storm. If you've read that section of scripture a couple of times, I'm hopeful and I believe that the word of God is active and living, and it can speak to you where you're at today. So this little section of scripture has been preached on so many times. But let me set the framework first, right? Because I don't want you walking away with, God, Craig, why didn't you talk about this? This is not about why storms happen. That's another message for another time. Pastor Bob would love to teach that message at some point. See how he set you up there? That was awesome. Okay. Um, he would like to teach that, but let's just say it straight. Storms happen in our life. Sometimes we cause them because we do dumb. We have a phrase in our house that when the kids leave, then I say, 
love you and don't do dumb. That's our phrase. That's when they leave, right? And so we all know that sometimes we don't make the right choices. And so we cause our own storms. Other times, other people cause storms in our life. Could be your kids, could be a significant other, a spouse, it could be, could be a, anybody, a coworker, a boss, it could, other people can cause the storm. And then let's just be honest, or I'll just be honest with you, for me personally, I don't know why some storms happen. They just happen in our lives. But I just want to get the framework right so that you and I are on the same page as we get into this. This is not the explanation of storms. This is about what Jesus does in the storm. Because I think that's really important. If we can all agree that storms happen, I want to know what to do with it in the storm, right? So here's a funny story. Because storms are relative. You might be having a storm and I might be having a storm and they're completely different storms. But to me, my storm is What's causing me the most anxiety? To you, your storm could be causing you the most anxiety. So storms are relative. That doesn't mean my storm is bigger than your storm. That just means we're both having a storm. So I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page. This is not about I'm better than you. I can survive storms more than you. Or your storm is worse than my storm. Or my storm is worse than your storm. It's not about that. It's that we all have storms. And they're all relative. Funny story is, when Lee and I were first married, we went camping a lot. Because I grew up camping. I was a camping family. Anyone in the room like to camp? Right? Yeah. So Leah's family did not. So she was unfamiliar. So one of the first camping trips we went on, we went to Lake McConaughey in Ogallala, Nebraska. Known for some severe lightning storms. Right? And so... Because I'm a mountain kind of guy, I love to camp, I had tents, I had the whole thing, right? So I pitched a tent on the side of a cliff, I found this little flat spot, and we're sleeping at night in this tent, and a thunderstorm, lightning storm came through Nebraska like they do all the time. I'm sound asleep as a baby, because I'm used to it. Right? But if you're someone like Leah, who's not used to this experience, and may tell me if you agree or disagree, if you're in a tent, a tent magnifies everything. Lightning, rain, everything. So Leah didn't sleep a wink that night. Was kind of mad at me the next morning, so I had to calm her down. Right? We're still married. It's okay. But it's all right. But I'm just telling you, people respond differently to storms. It's relative. Okay, to me, it was no big deal. For her, it was a massive deal, right? But I want to know what God has in this. So we're going to pick up the story, if you will. This comes from Mark chapter 4. So grab your Bible, and let's continue reading from where we left off last week after the parable of the sower, clear down on the last little section, last seven verses of Mark chapter 4. And it starts in verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. 
Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. So let's set the scene. Because I'm a proponent of reading a lot of scripture to get a full understanding of what's going on. And it really helps me understand the scenario. I mean, there's so much in these one, seven verses. But if you've you got to understand kind of what's going on in order to understand the mindset of the disciples. Right? I don't think we'll ever understand the mindset of Jesus. But I think we can get the heart of Jesus in these stories. But the disciples and Jesus, if you remember the parable of the sower, right? Jesus spent all day long teaching. The crowds were so big, they kind of pushed Jesus to the edge of the lake. Jesus got into the boat and he was teaching from the boat. So he was either teaching the big crowd or he's teaching his disciples, right? He spent all day long giving and giving and giving. Anyone relate to that? Where you can spend all day long giving. I mean, if you're a parent of a small child, you know what this means. If you're a parent of a 20-year-old, you know what this means. You can give and give and give and give. So I think Jesus just wanted some time alone. So he tells his disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. Right? He tells his disciples that. I'm sure they were all tired and wanting rest. And then it says, what's really interesting, I love when scripture just does the, the little things, right? Just as he was. Did you catch that in the, when we read the verse or in this whole section? They took him just as he was, right? No time for a shower, no time to go get dinner, no time to pack any clothes. They took him just as he was. They were tired, exhausted. I'm thinking to myself, because the crowds wanted Jesus so much, they had no time to go do anything. Because if they did, the crowds would press even more. And he wouldn't have any time. So they took him just as he was, tired, exhausted. They get into their boat and they take off. Not only that boat... But the Bible's clear. It says there was a small fleet of them. It doesn't say how many, right? But it says a small fleet. So again, I say this a lot, and I'm such a visual person. And I read this scripture a lot. And you read the section where Jesus is sleeping, right? So I'm thinking this boat is like some cruise ship kind of thing, right? Where Jesus is below deck. He found some hammock, right? And he's not really, you know, worried about much. And so he's just out, Right? Like when you have a small kid, and a small kid won't sleep, but you put him in a car, right? And you take him for a drive, and your parent do that just to get your kid to sleep. Yeah, thank you in the back, right? I'll admit it. I've done it, right? I put my kid in the car seat and put him on the dryer once, right? So that was really awesome. Um, he still shakes a little bit. That's okay. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. He doesn't. Settle down, okay? But I, I like to know... 
So in my study this week, and it was just really fascinating, I had so much fun studying for this, that I did a little bit of research on this boat because it helped me understand it. Did you know that in 1986, they found a boat. There was a drought in the Sea of Galilee area, and the water receded such that a boat from the first century was unearthed. I didn't know this. 1986. They were calling it the Jesus boat. Look at this picture. That's the actual remains of the boat. Pretty small boat. So I dug a little deeper because that doesn't tell me a lot. I'm thinking maybe some of it eroded away. I don't really know. So I dug a little bit more research into this. This is maybe a more accurate picture of what the boat looked like fully built. But still a pretty small boat. 27 feet long. 8 feet wide. Man, that just, that just floors me a little bit to think that a great storm come, Jesus is sleeping on a boat like that. That's craziness. It just makes the story even more amazing to me and how God works in people's lives. See, another thing I learned is the Sea of Galilee is not really a sea itself. It's a freshwater lake. It's a really big lake. It's 13 miles long and eight miles wide at its biggest spot. That's a really big lake. And so it helped me understand that. The thing I also learned is that the Sea of Galilee, the geography around the Sea of Galilee is prone to violent storms coming through. That is even... I don't even know how many times you can say more amazing in one sermon, but, but God's really speaking to me while I'm studying this because if you remember, some, a lot of the disciples were fishermen. They knew how to handle a boat like that. They fished on the Sea of Galilee. They probably experienced some of these sudden violent storms on the Sea of Galilee already. This is not a new occurrence in my mind for them. They probably knew how to handle a boat. So Jesus says, let's go to the other side. Sounds like a good plan. Obey and follow Jesus, right? Who wouldn't want to do that? Think this. Jesus knew there was going to be a storm. He knew it was going to happen. That's phenomenal to me. He didn't have any doubt when he said, let's go to the other side, that they would make it to the other side. So you got to wonder what's really going on in Jesus' mind or in his heart. We'll talk about it in a little bit, that he knew there was going to be a storm. He knew that the disciples were going to have a crisis of faith. Oh, we're going to get to there in a minute, because I think that's really cool. So you got to put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Jesus says, let's get on the boat and go to the other side. The disciples have seen the miracles that Jesus have done already. They've seen a lot of what he's done. And they're thinking, they're still trying to figure him out completely, but they're thinking that he's pretty cool. I'm going to hang out with this guy. That's how you talk in youth group, okay? But I'm going to hang out with this guy. They labeled the disciples. They get the tag, I will make you fishers of men. 
So when they get into the boat, they're probably thinking, wow, let's just go to the other side. That's what Jesus wants to do. There's no doubt in my mind that we're going to make it. So off they went, their little fleet, to the other side of the lake. And then Jesus fell asleep. Man, to me, that just really shows that Jesus was fully human. That he could relate to us in our tiredness. He understands it. So he gets on the boat. It doesn't say how long they rode for a little bit, right? Jesus falls asleep in the back of the boat, the stern, the back of the boat. He was fully man. So they're sailing. It's getting darker. And then it happens. Mark 4.37. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. This account is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's really the same account. Some of the words change a little bit that I think really helps us understand a little bit more of the story. The account in Luke says that they were in great danger. The account in Matthew says without warning. So these are disciples, these were sailors, so to speak, that already knew how to sail, already knew how to handle the boat. But this storm was such that it took them by surprise, and they were in danger or in peril. Oftentimes I know in my life that storms come without warning, right? And, and, and I just feel like things are just out of control. A squall, a sudden violent gust of wind or localized storm, especially bringing rain, snow, or sleet. The King James Version relates it as, or translates it this way, there arose a great storm of wind. I've experienced a squall. My dad and I, my dad had a little sailboat. It was a 28-foot sloop. It had a little cabin, right? It had a little thing in the back thing, whatever you sat in the back of a sailboat. And you sat in the back and you stirred the boat. It had two sails on it. And we took this boat all over, but we took it up to Glendo, Wyoming, the great sailing capital of the United States, right? That was funny, but it's not, okay? <laughs> Glendo, Wyoming is Wyoming, right? Wyoming's known for wind. Well, Glendo, Wyoming is such that it's a beautiful lake, right? But it was designed such that it, it went through hills and stuff, so sudden gusts of winds came through there all the time. Now, I'm a pretty amateur sailor at the time, still am, but I was, I was on the tiller in the back. I was the one controlling the tiller where the boat was going, and that person also controls the main halyard for the main sail. So we're cruising along. My dad decides to go up to the front of the boat to fix something. I don't know what he was fixing. He's my dad. He fixes everything. Okay, so he was up the front of the boat. And all of a sudden, without warning, if you're a sailor, you know what this is. The boat, the sails slap the, the lake because a squall came. 
If you're at the helm, you're supposed to watch this, right? If you're a good sailor, you can see the storm coming. Well, I not, very similar to a lot of what happens in my life, that storms just happen. The sail slaps the lake. We both go out of the boat. My dad is somewhere, no idea where he's at. I'm hanging on to some rail as the boat stands back up because that's what sailboats do. They're amazing that way. Right? The problem is, if you're the helmsman, you're supposed to unlatch the halyard so the wind comes out of the main sail and it just flaps. I didn't do that. I was out of the boat before any of that could happen. So we're flying at the same speed. Flying. Can you fly in a sailboat? I don't know. We're going at, at the same speed and we're going towards the shore. So I don't know where my dad is. So I'm trying to crawl back into the boat. Luckily, I'm still hanging by one rail. I managed to get into the boat, unlatch the halyard, and the boat stops. Isn't that similar to life? Where storms can just come and hit us without warning. We're not expecting it. And we do our best to struggle to get back and figure out where center is. So I've experienced a squall. I've experienced that kind of panic, that fear. By the way, God is good because once I got back into the boat, my dad was behind the boat. Somehow God managed a line to fall back behind the boat. My dad was like surfing on the line back there, kind of hanging on to it like I was using him as bait. He gets on the boat, gives me one of them dad looks. Then he sells the boat. But that's another story. So just to know, storms happen. And they can happen suddenly. And it happened to these guys. They were experienced sailors. But yet they were terrified. They were fearful. But Jesus is still sleeping. Imagine this. I bet the disciples didn't think what it says in Psalm 89.9. It says in Psalms 89.9, you rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. How cool is that scripture, right? But I bet in the middle of the storm, the disciples weren't thinking that. They were thinking and, and reacting to their fear. Anyone in the room? Is it just me? Were you afraid to shake your head? <laughs> but Jesus was still sleeping. That's, that's just craziness, right? So if you remember the size of the boat, and it's a small boat. Jesus is in the back of the boat. The boat is bouncing, right? Because if the waves are big, if you've been on a lake at all, the boat is bouncing. How in the world can Jesus be sleeping? The Bible says that he's sleeping on a cushion, Right? That's not cushions like we understand cushions. Some study that I did says it's nothing more than kind of a sandbag or even a piece of carpet, right? And so it's not really all that comfortable. Jesus is sleeping. Not to mention that, the Bible says that the boat's filling up with water. Is Jesus getting wet? He's sleeping. That's cool. Wouldn't it be great be able to get that kind of rest in a storm? Man, I don't know about you, but when storms happen in my life and I try to go to sleep, that's the hardest thing in the world to do. 
My mind is racing a hundred miles an hour. And, he, and it's playing every scenario in the planet that could happen. 99.9% of them scenarios never happen. But my mind is stuck in fast forward. And so sleep is just not something that comes easily in a storm for me. But Jesus is sleeping. I find that cool because of the response. Hmm. The disciples, in their fear and panic state, then, so they're bailing, right? They're doing everything that they can to get water out of the boat. Just like me, maybe you. I'm doing everything I can to solve my own storm. Man, I'm speaking to some people here tonight, today, whatever time of day it is, I don't know. But we do everything we can to get out of our own storms. We're bailing our own water. Then in their panic and their desperation, they go to Jesus. Mark 4.38 says this. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? (laughs) I just laugh sometimes. But honestly, when I see scripture like that, and you look at the disciples, and then you laugh a little bit, I'm wondering if we ask the same question sometimes of Jesus. Maybe you don't say the words, Jesus, do you care? But maybe we say things, or not even say things, or maybe it is, Jesus, are you there? Or maybe we say it by what we do. Jesus, do you care? Maybe we say it by what we complain about in our storm. See, I think storms can really put our faith to the test. See, the disciples knew Jesus. They knew his miracles. I've said it many times already. They saw the miracles firsthand. But yet when this storm happened, they had a crisis of faith. So I think there was a storm inside the storm, oftentimes. And I know that's true in my own life. That there's a storm, the physical storm, where you're trying to figure out what to do with a car accident. Or something more serious. You have a health issue. Or whatever your storm is, it doesn't matter. There's the physical part of the storm. And then there's the spiritual part of the storm. The faith part of the storm. So maybe there was a storm inside the storm. So Jesus said again, let's go to the other side. So the disciples were thinking, let's let's just go. That's what Jesus said. Let's do it. But then when something tough happens, then they're gripped with fear. But here's the good part. This is our turn, right? So it's not necessarily about the storm. I want to get across today. It's about what Jesus does in the storm. So Mark 4.39, this is his response to the do you care question. 
he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. That's cool. How would you like to experience that? See, I think we can. The CCV version, Craig Carson version, says this. Jesus speaking to the waves, enough, calm down. And I'm wondering if he's saying that to me also. Enough, calm down, I got this. I don't know, it's just the way I work. Some versions say, peace, be still. I read the NIV, so that's what it says, quiet. Other versions say, peace. And I really like the word peace in this context because it's, a, it's, a, it's not just a general sense that things will be okay. This is a, I can't understand it, but I am not gripped with fear anymore. There's no possibility of fear to creep in. It's that kind of peace. Maybe it's the kind of peace that talks about in Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Last week, if you were here, we talked about Philippians 4, 8, the whatever verse, right? Whatever's true, whatever's normal, whatever's excellent, whatever's praiseworthy. Think about those things. But right before that, it says this. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That kind of peace that transcends all understanding. Raise your hand if you've ever experienced that kind of peace. I have. Many times. Let me tell you one. I was a youth pastor in another church. Lee and I were married, and maybe we we thought we had a great marriage, right? And then towards our sixth or seventh year of marriage, things went south. We were kind of doing our own things. I was in youth ministry. She was a lead singer in an alternative rock band. Yes, it's pretty cool. I have pictures to prove it, okay? Um, uh, so, so that, and, and so we were just kind of going different directions, but so was our marriage. And then we both chose to do some really dumb things, and, right? The whole don't do dumb thing, but we chose to, to do some dumb things, Right? And so then we were struggling. That was the storm. I thought it was done. My life was identified with my marriage. So I remember distinctly, very distinctly, I'm driving home from church, right? I'm still a youth pastor at the time. Yes, I talked to my pastor. We were working through some stuff. And I, we were talking, and it was a youth group night, and I was coming home by myself. And all of this fear and anxiety and panic was all coming in to me. Maybe it's me. I don't know. I'm hoping to speak to someone here this morning, right? But I'm, I'm, I'm just struggling. And I, honestly, I, I'm almost ashamed to admit it, but I, I had the thought that it would be better if I steered my car into oncoming traffic. That's what the lie that was going on in my head. So then, by the grace of God, honestly, this is true. Please hear me. I'm not trying to build this up or convince you otherwise. I'm just telling you what happened in my life. Wow, I'm more emotional this one than it did 9 o'clock. I don't know why. I'm driving along, and God places this scripture on my heart. So for a quarter mile, I'm just laying my heart out with God. I'm presenting my request. 
And then I can't tell you how or why. It transcends all understanding. But I can tell you there was a point in time where I felt God's peace. Everything flushed out of my head. All the fear, all the anxiety. Was the storm gone? No. Lee and I had a lot of work to do in our marriage. And we did it. And are doing it. But I can tell you that if you present your request to God, the promise is with thanksgiving, the promise is the peace that transcends all understanding. See, I think think God is in this section of scripture. He's talking more about maybe the storm within us than he is the outside storm. He still calmed the outside storm. So I think maybe Jesus was trying to calm the storm inside the disciples also. Look at the response. Mark 4.40. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? So I think this was a defining moment for the disciples in their faith. I'm just, it's conjecture, I'm sure, and this is just how my brain works, that I'm thinking that at that moment, They go from just sort of knowing what Jesus did to knowing who Jesus is. Oh, come on, that was good. Because more you know, thank you, that was a long time ago. But the more you know Jesus, I think it gets a lot better. It's not the same fear. Notice it talked about they were panicked Before they went to Jesus, they went to Jesus in their fear. Jesus rebuked the storm. And then he says, do you have no faith? You still have no faith? And then right after said, they were terrified. It's not the same fear. It's completely different. The fear before is full of fear and panic and anxiety. The fear after is knowing who Jesus is. Knowing that God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. It's the fear of the Lord kind of fear. Maybe it's the fear of what Proverbs 1.7 talks about that says fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So they transitioned from the fear, anxiety, and all of that to I now fear the Lord. I know who Jesus is. He, who is this, the disciples say, that can calm the wind and the rain? Only God. It's the fear going from my stuff to the person who can handle my stuff. So I think in them seven verses, Jesus not only shows us that he's fully human, he shows us that he's fully God. And in those seven verses, I think he's telling all of us enough already. Calm down. I got it. See, sometimes he calms the storm, and sometimes he calms the storm in us. So I was preparing for this message, and I just had so much fun this week. I've said it before, and I just, I just want to reiterate and just encourage you. Man, you, just, just be in your Bible, because it's so cool. Did you know 
that there are many places in the Bible where the Lord calms the storm. Not just this one section. This is the one that gets preached on a lot. But there's so many places where in the Bible where the Lord calms the storm. I had so much fun as the Lord uncovered all of these for me. Not all of them because that would have been a long time. But at least enough of them to help get this done. Well, there's a couple of things that the Lord, two things that the Lord spoke to me during this message that I'm hoping you can get one or two or some nugget out of these two things as a takeaway. One, Jesus is always with us. I think if I were to do a survey and I were to come to you privately and I were to ask you that question, you would agree with that. That's what the Bible says. But oftentimes, the way we live our lives might translate differently than the words coming out of my mouth. But Jesus is always with us. The Lord led me to a scripture, Deuteronomy 31.8. And it says, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. That's an amen. But that's an amen if you understand the context of where this scripture is and how it's being delivered. Because it was delivered to someone who could have been filled with a little bit of anxiety. So you know anything about Deuteronomy, right? I had to read the whole section right through there as I was doing this and studying it. It's Moses talking to Joshua. And it's Moses is giving the reins of the Israelite nation to Joshua. And he's saying, Joshua, I want you to take these people, it's your job, into the promised land. These people are stiff-necked, crazy, do-dumb people. That's a storm in the making. So Joshua, who knows what was going on? But he had to have a certain sense that God is good. But Moses is trying to encourage him. And he says that the Lord himself goes before you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Man, that speaks volumes to me. Sometimes in my life, when I have storms, I might think that Jesus is sleeping. But he's not. He's there. The Bible says it. I just need to go to him and find him and because he's there. He wants to help me. He wants to calm my storm. I think oftentimes when a storm happens, it tries to isolate us. We try to feel alone, Right? That's just a lie of the enemy because the the enemy wants us to be alone. He wants us to think alone. He wants us to, I'm the only one, woe is me. But I guarantee you that we all have storms. There's a really good chance that all, there's quite a few of the same storms happening to some of us at the same time. But if you could get into your heart You could say the words, do not be discouraged, do not be dismayed. The Lord goes with you for wherever you go. You can say that out of your head, but until it moves to your heart, then you're thinking Jesus is sleeping. 
The second thing that Jesus or that Lord told me this week is storms can be an opportunity. That's kind of crazy, right? I'm not encouraging storms. That would be craziness, right? Go out and have a storm. That would be dumb, okay? I'm not encouraging that, but we all know that storms happen. We all have them. But maybe they're an opportunity. I found a few other places in the Bible that talks about storms that I just, they're just, they just leaped off the page to me. One of them, Jonah. Do you guys remember the story of Jonah? Everyone remembers Jonah as the guy that got swallowed by the big fish, lived in the fish for three days, right? We all know that, right? But what about chapter one of Jonah? There was an account in chapter one of Jonah that just is phenomenal. I want you to read it. I'm going to paraphrase it as we go, but you all remember Jonah. God told Jonah to do something, and Jonah said, I don't think so. And that's just me talking, right? This is how you talk in youth group, right? I don't think so. So he goes the other way, gets on a ship, he wants to hide from God. Before you get too mad at Jonah, I'm wondering if there's few of us, me included, that do some of the same activity. That's another sermon for another time, right? I have so much material I could preach all day long. This excites me so much. I hope you get excited about what God does. Oh, man, here we go. I'm going to fly right off of this. I'm halfway off right now. My toes are like hanging on the edge. (laughs) Yeah, it is. Jonah, chapter 1. Y'all know the story. He gets on the boat to run away from Jesus or his task. Then a storm comes up. The Bible actually says the people on the boat, they're not Israelites. They were worshiping their own gods. Jonah is down below, or wherever he is, and he's hiding still. So a storm comes up, right? And good sailors are throwing things off to lighten their boat. Don't throw your dad off, that's bad, but throw everything else off. And the storm still wasn't going anywhere, it was still rough. So Jonah says, it's me. And so the people, the guys on the boat said, hey, Jonah, we're not throwing you off because then your blood would be on our heads and we don't want to do that. I challenge you to read chapter one of Jonah. It's really a great read, right? And so then they still try some more stuff. We'll get you there. Nothing's happening. The storm is still there. So then Jonah finally says, it's really me, right? So they pluck Jonah off the boat, push him, throw him. I don't know how Jonah got jumped. I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. But read what happened next because this is what's really cool. The guy's on the boat. So Jonah jumps out of the boat, right? God calms the storm, completely calm. Just like the account in Mark, the guys on the boat who were worshiping their own God now are worshiping the God of Jonah. Our God, the God, the only God. See, I think storms are an opportunity and then I'm going to close with this, this, this section of Scripture. Oh, man, this one excites me the most. Right? Maybe it's just me. Psalm 107. 107. It's a great little psalm. I would encourage you to read the whole psalm. But Psalm 107 says, it starts with this. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. 
period, amen, let's go home. No, you can't, because you can't not read the rest of Psalm 107. Because you got to understand what the psalmist is trying to say. So all of Psalm 107 and then goes into four different categories of people that are brought back to God. They're in different situations. And one of them that I'm going to read to you is about some people that were in a boat. And it starts in verse 23 of 107. And he says, others went out on sea in ships. They were merchants on, on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. For he spoke and stirred up a tempest that lifted high the waves. They mounted up to the heavens and went down to the depths. Really big waves. They mounted, uh, they reeled and staggered like drunken men because they were at their wit's end. Do we sometimes get to our wit's end in storms? We don't know what to do. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the storm to a whisper. The waves of the sea were hushed, just like the account in Mark They were glad when it grew calm, and he guided them to their desired haven. This is it. This next line is what I want you to leave with. See, I think storms are an opportunity. An opportunity for us to really rely on the Jesus of the Bible. It's just an opportunity for us to really put our faith really in action. And not only that, this is their response out of Psalm 107. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. Let them exalt him in the assembly of his people and praise him in the council of his elders. I think storms are an opportunity to not only come to Jesus in our distress, but then let God calm us and then worship him and then worship him. Worship team, come on up. Oh, speaking of worship, that's crazy. Because so, now we get an opportunity to do just that. I mean, I don't know how you came into this room this, today, this morning. Maybe you got a big storm going on in your life. Maybe you don't, right? But I'm here to tell you that Jesus knows who you are, how you came into the room. And he wants you to respond to him. This is why I love the fact that we do communion every week in this church. One of the greatest things that we've done since we've started there's a lot, we've done a lot of great things, but that is one of my most favorite things because communion is an opportunity to do what we're talking about. Communion, the Bible says when you take these elements, you take them in remembrance of me. Not me, Jesus me, Christ me. Because Christ came to die on the cross for our sins so that we could have relationship with him and live with him everlasting. That's John 
That's the essence of communion. It's pretty simple. But communion to me is so much more than that. It's coming with that. Do this in remembrance of me. Not just that he died for my sins. Because if that's all it was, it's just fire insurance. But I want more. I want to live life to the abundance that the Bible says. The abundance, like just in this one message, peace in the storm. So as you come to communion today, man, come with an open heart, acknowledging who Jesus is and what he's done for you. And then worship him, exalt him, Give him thanks because he's worthy of it. If you're just going through the motions, don't. Because it's so much more. Jesus wants to come to wants us to come to him in our storms. That's why we have a prayer team in the back. Not just something because they're cool lanyards and they look cool in the back. They're there because they have a heart to listen and to pray with you. If you have a storm that's going on in your life right now and you are at your wit's end, man, I can't encourage you enough. Take communion, go to God, and then go to someone with a lanyard and get some prayer because they want to come alongside you and say, hey, I'm with you. I can't necessarily fix your storm, but I know someone who can. And his name is Jesus. And then worship. That's why we sing songs at the end of a sermon. It's not just to fill time. It's for an opportunity for you to respond to what God's doing in your heart. stuff going on in this place right now. to our hearts now you know the condition you know what we need speak to our hearts but we want to come to you with thanksgiving and praise and worship because you're good you're good speak to, speak to who you need to speak to right now. In the name of Jesus, speak to that person. Father, we just give you thanks, because you're good, your 
living, you're active, and you're worthy of our worship. Father, we just pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.